We have ignition sequence start. Short distance, high impact. Five, four, three, two, all engines running. Ten questions with Adam Joir. Big names, great minds. Make yourself a cup of tea. Liftoff, we have liftoff. Welcome to another 10 questions. Today's guest is TV host and author Jessica Rowe. Jess and I talk about her broadcasting beginnings from news reading on Channel 10 to co-hosting the Today Show opposite Carl Stefanovic, the controversy surrounding her departure from the Today Show, her battle with postnatal depression and her mother's battle with bipolar disorder. Jess and her mother were going to write the book The Best of Times, The Worst of Times, which charted her mother's struggle. As usual, I started by asking Jess when she was most happy, and she talked about the time she and her sisters took their mother to Rome, and how it was a holiday they never imagined being able to take. Why this particular trip altogether was so meaningful for us all as grown-ups is that we were never quite sure that we would ever get to that stage with Mm -hmm. mum that we'd be able to share that wonder with her and for her to be fully present and happy. And, I mean, she is the smartest, wisest person I know. And it was so special to, I'll get teary thinking about it now, to, like, walk the streets of Rome with her and have her recounting history, history of these different places, history of the Roman all these things that I learned about but couldn't remember to save myself. But mum is this font of information and stories and she's such a great storyteller. So to be able to share that with her is such a highlight for me. And I know that's a very roundabout way of talking about the book that my mum and I wrote. But when, you know, mum talks about her mental illness, she's she's always been very open about it. But it wasn't until we wrote that book together that I had more of an understanding for what bipolar is like for her and what it has done to her life. And it makes me marvel even more at her, at her bravery, but her wisdom and just the way that she still wants to embrace life with both hands when she can. And the older I get, the more I want to do that. I never want a moment to pass by that, that I can't, make the most of and so that's why traveling with mum and my sisters we we never thought it would be possible so to do that it was just it really was I know it's the cliche but it was a trip of a lifetime it's it's interesting in the 16 years since that book's come out the awareness levels of mental health has gone up dramatically I mean it must have been you guys were pioneers in many ways because a lot of people just weren't ready to hear about it in 2005 well you're so right Adam and What I think, though, is almost ironic now is that, yes, we're far more open about it. We talk about it a lot more, but there is still the stigma and the shame in saying I've experienced that or I'm going through that. And we still, I think, have a way to go with that. And and the reasoning I give for that is even myself, when I realised I had postnatal depression, when I had a mental illness, I felt so ashamed. And I thought, what? I've written a book with my mum about mental illness. Mum and I had spoken publicly about our family's experience over the years and our message had always been the public one. There should be no shame. We need to talk about this. But when I myself realised I had a mental illness and there was something wrong with my brain, I was so ashamed. And I 
did what so many people do. And I would think, what right do I have to feel like this? I shouldn't be feeling like this. I've got everything. I've got everything I could wish for. Beautiful husband, a healthy baby I've, who I've wanted to have for so long. Um, I had fight the financial means to get help. I had a supportive, loving, understanding family. All of that going for me. And I still felt ashamed and didn't want to admit to myself, let alone the people around me, that I was struggling. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And so I, I think we still have a way to go. And, yes, mm. we talk about it more, but there is still that sense of, of shame and also that sense of um, still hiding behind veneers of being successful um, as a way of, yes, I can still I can still do this, I can still do this. And, and I think, too, it's because often when someone is very mentally unwell or going through a particular episode, whether it be anxiety, depression, or say bipolar or something, you know, serious like that, often you're not very nice to be around. <laughs> you're not, a, you know, you're not endearing, you're difficult, you're unpleasant, you're rude, you're all these things. So it's quite hard for people to see someone they love like that. Yeah, that's, that's, re that's really true. So when you had to acknowledge it, I guess that was a few years, that was just a few years after you'd written the book. And, 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 you know, not surprisingly, mum was the first person I told because I knew she would understand. And, 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 and she did, she said, she made me though, I had to promise her. She said, promise me, you will talk to your husband, Petey, and promise me you will talk to your doctor. So I made my mum those two promises. And, and I, and I then subsequently did that, but it was so hard to do that because I felt like I was letting everyone down around me that I was letting down my sort of seemingly perfect family. And also, I think I wow. had somehow wanted to carve this charmed life out for myself that would stupidly, or I thought this would insulate me from the sort of life that my mum had to endure. And I mean, now I look back and I think how ridiculous, but, but I had this notion that if I always put on the bright chirpy face if I was successful if I did all the things the right way I wouldn't I would protect myself and of course you can't do that I mean that's impossible that's not real life but but that was what I had done and of course you do that and you set yourself up to fail and and I know Adam that once I admitted I needed help I got the help and I saw myself as flawed and imperfect that that I'm a much happier person because I realize I don't have to be perfect. And I've taken a lot of pressure off myself as a result, but getting there is hard. And I think for anyone, it's the hard, the hard work comes when you're going through those awful times, you never learn anything when things are fabulous and you are at your happiest, but you learn when you're at your lowest and how you can get out of that rock bottom. Yeah, I totally understand. Uh, question two, who would you like to apologise to and why? Oh, there's lots of people I'd like to apologise to. Too many to name, but I'm um, one of my failings is I'm not very good at confrontation. And over the years, I've had really close friendships with people, but I've let them drift because I've moved on to different 
times of my life and I haven't stayed in touch with people and I've gotten to a point where you leave it so long you think oh no what do I say how do I say it and oh I'll just leave it and so there's a number of people that I've let slip through my fingers and I'm sorry that I did that and I'm sorry that I wasn't brave enough to perhaps say the friendship isn't right anymore or I love you but let's leave it <laughs> I haven't been brave enough to do that I've just let them and and I don't think that's fair and and I don't like it when people do it to me so I'm sorry for those friends and and, and exes that I've let that that I've left drift drift away and I haven't been brave enough to say why so that's Mm. who I apologize to yeah I think we've all got people like that in our lives um question three is what is your greatest regret oh I don't like to have regrets life is short I mean hey there's plenty I've done wrong and stuffed up but I don't regret any of them because I'm such a believer in saying yes to things just having a crack it can fail terribly. You can go down in flames, but at least I had a go and I'd much rather do that and have a bazillion regrets than, um, yeah, so no regret. Well, can I ask you a question that if I've gone on television and then felt that I said something stupid, how do I deal with that? Because that's <laughs> a regret of mine. <laughs> no, well, you know what? But what? I say stupid things all the time and I actually think stupid things are great, like stupid. <laughs> funny (laughs) and for me being stupid I think I liken it to being silly like that's almost my lifeblood in the terms of so what like is that the worst thing that could happen that you said something stupid or you were silly I just embrace that and think well hey that's a part of me and and (laughs) and it's gone that's what I love about say live television or performing is you've done it and it's finished like you can't take it back you can't redo it it's out there and it's gone, done and dusted. Just let it go. As the <laughs> Frozen song goes, Adam, just let it go. Brilliant. I, I like that. Thank you. Uh, what will you still need to do to feel like you've lived a satisfactory life? Oh, travel. I love travel. I find I have a real wanderlust and I love what travel does to me it may it makes me daydream it makes me question it makes me want to explore history and people's stories and so travel I really want to travel I'd love to I've never acted but I often have have this sort of um sort of daydream or wouldn't it be great to be an actor <laughs> I don't know if I'm too late for that um but probably never too you should late do me. it no you should yeah. get yeah just get some <laughs> lessons and yeah. Or play. <laughs> exactly. So something like that. And also I'd love to go to space. When I was a little girl, I wanted to be an astronaut. And there's something about I love looking up at the stars and I'd love to go to space. And and would Peter and the family be happy with that? Well, I, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> Where's mum? She's in space. Um, <laughs> question five, who's the person who most influenced you and how? Oh, my mum, my mum, because she, well, well, actually I'll expand that too. My parents, they split up when I was younger, but I've learned so much from both of them. From mum, I've learned about being courageous and brave and resilience. From my dad, I've learned enthusiasm. 
My dad is the world's biggest enthusiast and he, he loves people, he loves a chat. So I like to think from both of my parents, I've learnt those qualities and seen how important that is to have. And what did they do? Well, mum, because of her illness, she did had a, a sort of, she would say, like a hodgepodge of careers. She did, she was a guide at the Opera House. She used to take oh, wow. the Opera House. She was a sales rep for Oxford University Press and used to sell dictionaries. And she's a writer. I mean, mum is a writer. She's written six books. Uh, she's an incredible novelist. So she's creative. My dad is, um, dad also was in book publishing. And then at the age of 50, he was retrenched and he became a police officer. Until oh, my God. Fire. Yes. At, at 50? At 50. He went to the Goulburn Police Academy and um, did the, the whole um, course and was a mature-aged police officer and um, was a constable and, you know, then retired, I think, early 60s. And so, and that, I was so proud of him for doing that because he never... He reinvented himself and he's always up for something. And, and I, I have, I've got that from him, that sense of, hey, why not? Give it a go. Go for it. Have you ever thought about writing about a man at the age of 50 joining the police, police force? <laughs> I, I think that's fascinating. I know it is. It's, and what I love to about Dad is um, he, I mean, his, his bosses were, half his age like they were but he and he had no problems with that though he because dad loves he loves a chat and he he would talk about times where he'd be going and there'd be protests outside state parliament and he then wanted debate with the protesters and his colleagues would go wait like don't like and then the protester would see his name badge and then they'd start chanting his name and they'd say hey hey ho ho john rose got to go hey hey ho ho (laughs) Is the police officers are going, mate, come on, let's, we don't need to keep debating with the protesters. Um, You know, he he talks about this woman who he pulled over to breath test, an elderly woman, and he said, oh, madam, how much have you had to drink tonight? And she said, oh, I've had five Brandy Alexanders. And then as he was turning to get the breath testing equipment, she put a foot down and just raced off. They were also shocked. None of them, none of them pursued us. So. My God. Yes. So I mean, but he, he loved it. He he really enjoyed the the mateship, the stories, and and yeah, the the sort of comrades in the in the police force. He he enjoyed it enormously. I asked Jess when she last cried, and she said she'd watched Titanic yesterday with her daughter. But then we moved on to episode one of her podcast, The Jess Rowe Big Talk Show, where she interviewed her former Today Show co-host, Carl Stefanovic, and they discussed her dramatic departure from the program. For those who don't know the story, it was claimed that in May 2006, Channel 9 CEO Eddie McGuire said to former Nine News director Mark Llewellyn, as well as other Nine executives, quote, What are we going to do about Jessica? When should we bone her? I reckon it should be next week. Close quote. Maguire's comments were leaked in the media, but he denied ever using the word bone, instead maintaining he said burn. Roe left Channel 9 in 2007 and later said that Maguire, quote, made my life hell, close quote, during his tenure at the network. When Jess and Carl discussed it on her podcast, tears flowed. Oh, we cried. And... Uh, and I hadn't expected to be in tears. Carl didn't either. And 
yes, it did bring back a lot because, I mean, that was such a horrible time for me. It was horrible. Mm. And, but also it was a time I, I couldn't make sense of why it happened. And that was also what caused me a lot of hurt too, that it was like, what, what is the problem here? Why, why are people being um, just so awful and cruel? And because it's not in my makeup to ever be cruel or unkind to someone, it, it, it hurt so much. And so that, yeah, it did bring back things. So interviewing Carl, I was so nervous. I really felt quite sick in the stomach beforehand thinking, how will this go? But after we had our conversation and during it, I did start to feel lighter. And I think I hadn't realised how much I'd held on to over the years. And resentment is not a healthy thing to have. It, mm. And jealousy is not either. It doesn't, doesn't do you any favours and the other person couldn't care less. So it, for me to have that conversation with Carl, and I think he, he'd agree too, it was cathartic and important for both of us to do it. I, I went back to, I had a, a difficult time at boarding school, as did most of the people I went to boarding school with in the late 80s. And I did a speech there in 2013, 2014. I had exactly the same experience where I didn't even, it was so cathartic, I didn't even realise I'd been carrying around this kind of resentment and anger. And of course, let it go at that moment. Um, it's hard to know sometimes that you're carrying it though. It, well, exactly. and But isn't that freeing, Adam, when you have that? Oh, yeah. Oh my goodness. I actually, I don't need to hold this anymore. This isn't mine to hold. I can hmm. be free of it. And, and it does lighten you. And it, it's, yeah. So I smile now thinking about Carl, because I think of that most recent conversation. I don't feel oh, like all, hmm. and all, you know, torn. Well, I mean, what a, 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 an extreme confluence of events. The fact that um, someone like Eddie Maguire would become CEO of Channel 9 when he was at that stage a quiz show host and a footy show host. Um, and then for it to actually just, the story just grew and grew and there were books written about it and we need to understand that media wasn't splintered back in 2006, 2007. Channel 9 was the main game in town and you were the big story. And I can't even imagine how that would have felt for you and your family. Well, it was so bizarre because it was, I was like I was at the eye of the storm and I was sort of this lightning rod for everything that was going wrong with Channel 9. And, <laughs> and, and it was like, what, why? And, but it was, it was everything sort of conspired. And it was one of those situations though, and I'm sure you've been through them too, Adam, where you, you, you don't, because you don't know what's coming next, you think, at the end of each day, oh, that's it. Like it can't get any worse. <laughs> and then, and then boom, something else happens and it keeps happening. And, and that's when you start to just go, what is going on? And, and, and I couldn't, and I remember one particular time because, you know, with breakfast TV, you're getting up so early and I was reversing out of my garage and it was sort of, quarter to four I think in the morning and there was all these cameras there and I remember just reversing out and they're taking my photo and I'm thinking what is going on what wow. like why is this of any interest but it just and at the time to Petey my husband he was working for 60 minutes so that was the same network and so he was aghast as well thinking 
this place where he had been working for so long was sort of destroying me. And he was on the other side of the world often working, doing his stories. And so it would mean he would be able to log on to the internet because this was before Twitter and Instagram as well. So mm. he'd log on to the internet to see what had happened or what was happening, what I was about to wake up to. And that made him feel very defenceless. Of course. Like, oh, God, I'm over here and I'm reading all this stuff about what's now about to happen and or happening. But it was so, it was bizarre. And it's one of those things too, Adam, where I think, you know, what was it, 15 years ago, it wouldn't be tolerated now what I sort of went through as a woman in the media where my everything from my hairstyle, my weight, the fact, I remember someone wrote about me being childless at the time, uh, my laugh, my fashion, that that was so picked at constantly. And then I remember two newspapers in um, one of the Melbourne newspapers, it was the Herald Sun, I think, um, in their TV guide present, um, sent, had all these letters of people, awful letters about me that they published. And then I remember someone sent me this and also wrote this horrible letter with all of these clippings and things. And I made the mistake oh, wow. of it and then reading it. And I remember just going, like, that was a low point, just going, how, why would someone, and not just one person, all these people write such awful things about me and not know me. But then what started to happen, I remember talking to Yana Vent and Yana was like, I still want to grow up and be Yana. That's someone I'd love to be when I'm a grown up. And she was, she said to me, she said, just wait. She said, it will start to turn for you. She said, it won't make any sense that it does or when it does, but just hang in there. And she was so right because it was, and it did start to turn. And when it did start to turn was when it was made public, the affidavit of when Eddie had said that horrible word about me, because that was when things started then to turn back in my favour. Because not surprisingly, he denied saying it because it, 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 anyway, that's a whole different scenario. But so then I knew that he had to publicly back me because if he didn't, it, would, it sort of endorses the fact that he said it. So yeah. I, I had bought myself some time. And, and so that then kept me going because I'm, I'm a very stubborn person and I am strong. And some people mistake my, my nature as being a pushover, but I'm not. I'm actually mm. stubborn and strong. And I knew, I thought, I am not going to be pushed out of this job, this job that I had thought would be a dream job, a job that I had wanted and thought would be, you know, this job I'd have for a long time. I was thinking, no, I'm not going to be pushed out of this. I'm going to make you do it. <laughs> so I literally, mm. I kept showing up each day because I thought if I'm going, to, I'm going to do my part in this, I'm going to be professional, I'm going to smile, I am going to show you what I'm made of and make this really hard for you. And so then that was, as Yana had said, that was when the tide turned. And also what happened was I then got so many incredible emails, letters and cards from people who I didn't know, 
who and people who would stop me in the street. And I think about it as the kindness of strangers. And that kept me going because they were like, we love the way you laugh. You just keep going. You hang in there. That meant so much to me. And then I remember as well getting um, emails and calls from people who I admired in the media, who I didn't necessarily know, but who basically said, hang in there. You have a tribe of women <laughs> and men. There were blokes too who are here supporting you. And that helped me enormously. And, and one of those sort of side lessons was for me, never underestimate what reaching out to someone means because people reaching out to me kept me going. So if there's someone around you and you're thinking, oh, they might be struggling or they need, they need a, a call or a note or whatever it is, do it because you never know what that might mean because it, for me it meant so much. Of course, and and when you talked about Peter being away for 60 minutes, part of me thought, oh, well, that's actually pretty good that he was not in the country as well, you know, that he wasn't, like, having FaceTime with these people because he probably would have hit them. Oh, you yes, know? that's right. <laughs> he used to, yeah. <laughs> and, and also, too, I mean, there was a time where Peter was so angry and he's like, right, I'm leaving. I'm going to walk away. And I said, no, <laughs> we cannot implode two careers at the same time. <laughs> no, let's... <laughs> Um, you know, mercenary about it in the sense of no, they're not going to win and have both of us walk away. And 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 also for PD2 within Channel 9, there were people who were supporting him because also as well, what I remember there was there were stories that it, that a current affair was doing bagging me about being the oh. most annoying person on television. And I remember thinking, what? Yes, <sighs> and that was kind of like. And that was another moment of, oh, this is really bad. Like <laughs> the uh, our current affair show is bagging me for being the most annoying person and I'm still turning up each day. And, and for Petey, that was kind of when he was like, right, that's mm. it. And I, and I sort of said to him, you had like, no. Um, yeah. And, and, and so now I think Petey's been there for 30 years, which, and, yeah. and that's, you know, it is difficult. And also as well, during that time, and this is what helped me too, we were going through IVF. So I became pregnant and during that time. And that also kept me going once I was had had a successful IVF cycle and knew I was pregnant. I knew I had something far more meaningful and more important happening for me than what was happening on the outside. So that kept me going. And then also, too, I knew with both that affidavit and then once I announced that I was pregnant, I knew that that also was going to buy me time because that was going to look really bad if they sacked the pregnant woman. Mm, <laughs> but, yeah. but at the same time, I knew that they were going to sack me, that I wasn't going to come back from maternity leave because I could get no guarantees. I could get nothing from them that I would be returning and, mm -hmm. and I tried, I tried because I wanted to get it all in writing and they wouldn't give it to me. And I, so I knew, but uh, uh, yeah, so I knew that would happen, but I just thought, no, for now, I'm going to keep showing up. Yeah. Unbelievable. All right. Well, you're in a bit much better place, which oh. leads into our next question. <laughs> what is your current state of mind? <laughs> wow. Do you know, I'm, I am happy in the sense of, 
and I know we spoke at the outset about happiness being fleeting, but I'm content. I think perhaps that's a better better word. Um, you know, that was a long time ago and so much has happened and I'm a far more, um, just more, I don't want to say rounder person because that's so naff, but I'm just, I'm far more willing to accept my imperfection and failings. I've, I'm a mum now, I'm an imperfect mum, but, but I feel like my life is how it should be. And I have embraced my quirky, silly side, which is a big part of who I am. And I love that because I think doing the news presenting and then being on TV thinking I have to be a particular way, I actually don't. I can just be me. And, and that's what I love about getting older. I'm 51 and I love it because I care less about what people think and that is so freeing and that takes time. You know, mm. it's all well and good to say, oh, you know, you need to do that when you're younger, but when you're younger, you, nothing's going to change that. You do worry about everyone around you, whereas now I don't and I'm very selective in who I spend time with. I don't want to have negative ninjas around me, people sucking out my lifeblood. I I want people around me who are good for my soul, who bring out the things that I like about myself. And, you know, just those mm. people who you go, oh, this is easy because that's how it should be. You should mm. like, yeah, this is me and I can be me. And, <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm like, yeah, I life is good. And, I mean, regardless, I know there's – this bizarre time, bananas time we're living through. And there's obviously things that we'd all like to change with that. But in terms of where I'm at, I'm in a good place. That's great. Um, question eight is what do you consider your greatest achievement? Oh, my girls, my daughters. That there, you know, Allegra's 14, Giselle's 12. And yeah, being, being a mum is the best thing I've ever done and and it's never ending and that's what I'm learning and but they teach me so much that's what I'm discovering and I used to think oh you know you're a parent and you go tell 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 them <laughs> my problem is I like to talk and they're like we don't need that like we don't need all that information <laughs> we just want this simple answer um but they teach me so much every day and so that's they're my greatest achievement. Could I ask, what do they think of having parents on television? Oh, they, I mean, they just roll their eyes. I mean, they, um, I'm an embarrassment, but that's no surprise. I think all parents, especially of teenage kids, embarrass their kids. And, but, but, you know, they're also, what this meant so much to me, Giselle, my youngest, gave me a hug the other night. She said, mum, I love you. I love that you're not like other mothers that, you know, you're a bit crazy and you wear, you know, out there clothes and you're a bit, you know, easy on the rules. I really like that. And that, I, that to me, I couldn't get higher praise. Like that made me go, yes, <laughs> I'm something right. So yeah, uh, yeah, that was really good. Or, or I did something right that day. Doesn't mean always, um, <laughs> But she gets you. Yeah, she gets me. And that's, and I love that. I love that. And, and another thing too, and with Allegra, you know, she, she will roll her eyes and like, oh, mum, you're so embarrassing. And if we walk anywhere, she's got to walk in front. I've got to walk behind. I'm like, Allegra, 
and she's like no you gotta walk behind me and um but she with the podcast I've just released she on her social media and I was like oh she said listen to my amazing mum and I was like yes but to see that like that meant everything to me Uh, yeah so that that's that's brilliant Mm. who would you want on your side in a battle and why oh (laughs) i would want my bestie or one of my besties denise drysdale because she does not suffer fools no god i miss her at the moment because she's high technology you know i try and facetime her and she puts the phone up to her ear i'm like i don't (laughs) your ear i want to see your face (laughs) uh the final question what would you like your last words to be Oh, now this, this I thought about, and I love this quote from Emerson, and it's, be silly, be honest, be kind. And it's a, and you have to think about it because it's like, well, what is it that I want to, for people to think when they either think about me or what, what is it that matters to me? And that's, that's what matters. Thank you so much for tuning in to 10 Questions. We'd also like to thank all the guests that appear on the show. And if you have a minute, please subscribe via iTunes or your podcast app and leave us a rating. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach me on Twitter at Adam Zwa. So until next time, thanks for joining us.